Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. One thing you might not know about Martin and Elizabeth um, is that we have with us Roger Ellis. Roger is one of our um, apostolic voices at Emmaus Road. Um, and Roger also happens to be son-in-law of Martin and Elizabeth. So um, I'm going to let Roger introduce them. Well, it's great fun. The last time I went out to speak in Revelation, Elizabeth came and... Uh, carried my Bible and accompanied me, which was rather fun. <laughs> and uh, so it's great fun to come down here and be with Martin and Elizabeth. And uh, obviously, we've known each other quite a while. Margaret and I have been married, married a while now, since 1985. Uh, and during that time, uh, Martin has spoken into this issue a number of times uh, with leaders and in the church. The first time, I think, was probably in the late 80s and then again in the 90s. So se several times we've had Martin teach and, and help us at a leadership level and a church level in this area, and it's always been really, really exciting and really helpful. And so what we're going to do is uh, sort of let Martin loose for a season of time and see how long we go for, uh, probably around 45 minutes or so. I can always wave my watch if we're going on. And then we'll have some uh, questions and answers from the floor, see what happens, and if you've got any more time, we can have some more content afterwards, and we'll take it from there. So, brilliant. So, Martin, over to you. Thank you very much, Roger. Wasn't Roger a bold man to marry Maggie when she was my daughter? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize what I was getting myself in for. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so it's uh, something I've been looking forward to, to, you know, actually be chaired by Roger. That's great. <laughs> Well, let me mention, like this morning, uh, let me mention straight away three books uh, that you may find helpful for this afternoon. We Jews are a different culture. We're not a British culture. We're definitely different. Uh, and uh, because we happen, many of us, to have white skins, uh, and many of us have been to school in Britain or Germany or wherever it is, uh, and therefore know how to behave with local people, roughly speaking, <laughs> uh, people often don't realize that we are actually a different culture uh, and fail to relate uh, with us as a result. Um, and I wanted just to mention a very basic little book, Good News in Other Cultures. And it's quite practical. I think you'll find that helpful. And you, it's just three pounds, so you can't go wrong with that. Uh, to look at the Bible through Jewish eyes, one of the major problems for us as Jews is that the church, of all different sorts, is, very, we would say, very Gentile. Yeah? Very British or very German or very Dutch or very American or very whatever. Uh, 
but not Jewish. Which is strange because, um, of course, Jesus was a Jew and the apostles were all Jews. In fact, the early church was almost all Jews. And actually, we wrote the scriptures too. <laughs> People don't think of that, do they? <laughs> it's true. So one of the things I have struggled with in my life is how to relate the Christian faith, which I have very clearly, definitely now, uh, how to be a Christian, but also to see Christianity through Jewish eyes and to see the Bible through Jewish eyes uh, and Christian communication and everything else through Jewish eyes. And I want just to say I've written two biblical expositions uh, one Old Testament that you may really enjoy, uh, the little book of Habakkuk, uh, which is so relevant to Britain, uh, under the title of Any Complaints? Blame God, which is what Habakkuk does, if you know your scriptures at all. Uh, and uh, I think you'll enjoy that. And the other one is um, New Testament, Matthew and Mission, the Gospel through Jewish eyes. Uh, I think we've only got two copies of that left now. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but you can get the last two and then after that, if you're wanting it, uh, beyond the two, you can get them on the net. Uh, all right. Uh, a few months ago... Our window cleaner came to our house. He's a nice young man, English, uh, in his, I would think, 30s, probably early 30s, maybe. Uh, not particularly educated, uh, uh, but, um, you know, a nice, nice guy. Very English. Uh, and we get on very well together. And... A couple of months back, a few months back, uh, I was out, and this guy came to clean the windows. Normally, I chat with him, and as I was out, Elizabeth chatted with him. And after a while, he said to her, could he ask her a question? She said, yes, of course. Uh, and he said he'd been reading or hearing about two very strong men. One was called Samson, and the other one was Gaul something. Uh, couldn't quite remember the name, Goliath. <laughs> and did Elizabeth know anything about these men? And uh, she said, well, they come from the Bible. Oh, didn't know that. <laughs> didn't think they were religious at all. <laughs> and then he said, well, can you tell me anything about them? And Elizabeth, amazingly, did know a little bit about them. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> and uh, began to tell, tell him a little bit. And in passing, she mentioned that actually at that time, Israel was having some trouble with a people called the Philistines. And when he heard the word Israel, he exploded. 
He said, Israel, he said. That's Jews, isn't it? And she said, well, yes. Oh, he said, I hate them. <laughs> Happily, he didn't know that I was Jewish. Because <laughs> we get on very well. I don't suppose he's ever met a Jew, actually, in our little village in Hertfordshire. I'm the only one. As far as I know, there are none others in our neighborhood at all in other villages around. So I don't suppose he's actually ever met one. So why did he hate them? Somewhere he's got it in the pub. Somewhere there's talk, isn't there? You know, those awful people. Israel, what an awful lot. And that's quite politically correct, actually, isn't it? <laughs> you know, to be anti-Israel and anti-Jewish, therefore. But on the other side, there are many, and particularly in some of our Christian churches, who just love Israel. <laughs> and love Jews. They've probably never met one either. <laughs> <laughs> As my wife will tell you, it's easier to love them when you don't know them. <laughs> But everything Jewish is wonderful. And they love, you know, trees in the field, clapping their hands and dancing and so on. Don't realize that there's all sorts of other sides to Jewish culture, uh, not just that sort of happy, clappy sort of approach. Uh, we can actually, we love tears and love to be a bit mopey. <laughs> But people are divided in that way, aren't they? Some one way and some another. Now, I don't know if you've ever been involved in counselling or helping or befriending couples that are having trouble in their marriage. Mm -hmm. If you have, what do you say to them? Do you say to the husband, no wonder you're having trouble a wife like that. <laughs> Do you say to the wife, no wonder you're having trouble with a husband like that? I don't think so. I think you say, well, maybe both sides are not totally perfect. <laughs> and maybe need a little bit of saying sorry and... Uh, Changing a little bit and so on. Is that right? <laughs> Could that be true of Israel and the Palestinians and the Arabs and so on? <laughs> I don't think actually that it helps very much with the strong Zionist sort of people who just... Israel is wonderful, Israel is perfect, it's wonderful, this is God's people, and the Arabs, the Palestinians, they're rubbish. Israelis may like to hear that. I don't know that it really helps. And likewise, of course, the ones who say they're very strongly in favor of justice, 
and uh, very pro-Palestinian, been terribly wronged and terribly ill-treated, etc., etc. And they are wonderful. Of course, not their fault at all. <laughs> it's that awful Israel. Yeah? And they take sides on that side of the fence. And, of course, Palestinians and Arabs love to hear that, just like Israelis love to hear the other. But I'm not sure that it's very helpful. And I would suggest, actually, a little bit of repentance on both sides wouldn't come amiss. And a little bit of change. I think, uh, let me be very open as a, as a Jew. I have no doubt that Israel needs to repent. And we need a bit of new justice uh, and we need a new holiness and righteousness in Israel. To be honest, it's the one country in the world where when I go to the supermarket, I actually count up the cost of everything before I go to the till. <laughs> because I find again and again, just somehow there's been a mistake. Israel needs a bit of repentance. And they have been unjust. They are often unjust. Even though they're the only democratic country in that area of the world. And they're the only one that have, you know, people of the other type, <laughs> whatever that is, uh, in their parliament. Knesset in Israel. You, know, you can't imagine... <laughs> the Syrians or the Iraqis and so on uh, being too strong either on democracy or having a strong representation uh, of non-Muslims. Can you imagine it in Saudi or somewhere? Poor. <laughs> Unthinkable. Yeah. Uh, uh, but Israel has not treated the Palestinians rightly. And there needs to be a bit of repentance. On the other hand, <laughs> I suppose I'm not really the one to say it as a Jew. But my last visit to Israel, uh, I was in Tel Aviv and I was given an official map with semicircles, you know, one a little bit further out, a little bit further out, a little bit further out, centered on Gaza. And it was saying how many minutes you have to get into an air raid shelter when rockets come over. And the Jews for Jesus couple I was staying with with two small children, they said that their children were beginning to get a bit of nervousness and you know, it was a little bit of feeling uh, because they said they hardly ever have a class at school that is not interrupted with rockets and they have to go down into the air raid shelter in the middle of the class. And at home, they virtually never play a game with the children 
without it being interrupted by a rocket and having to go down into the air raid shelter again. Well, if France started lobbying rockets into Britain every day, I have a feeling that the British government might say something. <laughs> In spite of Brexit, I don't think it's very likely. <laughs> you never know. It would help us to have a little empathy with our Israeli friends. Uh, it's not easy, is it? Uh, and, uh, you know, when the state of Israel was formed, whatever you think of it, all the Arab nations joined together to try and wipe it out. Uh, and, you know, Hamas have openly said, and they've never repented of this, openly said that their aim is to drive all Jews into the sea. Now, that's not easy to live with, actually remembering that Israel is a very small country and from the west of the West Bank down to the Mediterranean by tank <laughs> and tanks don't go very fast is about three quarters of an hour. So if the Palestinians launched a surprise attack they could cut Israel off into two bits in three-quarters of an hour. Israel has to live with that. So, you know, there's a little bit of something on the other side. Well, faults on both sides. But wonderfully, when you're a Christian, I find that when I've been to international conferences and that sort of thing, we as Jewish believers in Jesus, Messianic, believers, whatever you want to call us, Jewish Christians, I don't mind what you call us, uh, uh, but we get on like a house on fire, wonderfully, with our Palestinian and Arab Christian friends, uh, because of course we share the same culture, we're both Semitic, ethnically and culturally, uh, and their Islamic background is very similar to our Judaism background, uh, Judaism and Islam have so much in common and the cultures are almost the same. Uh, we relate beautifully together as Christians uh, and enjoy each other. Uh, so that the answer to the whole problem is Jesus. We have the same father. We have the same Saviour, Messiah, Son, and we have the same Holy Spirit in us. And to love our sister and our brother across that divide is dead easy <laughs> as Christians. But not if you're not Christian. <laughs> then you have problems, in spite of the culture being the same, virtually. Not quite, but virtually. Yeah. Uh, so I believe evangelism is the key to reconciliation and the key to any hope of peace and love together. Well, of course, there is the whole question of Israel and prophecy. 
is the state of Israel and the coming of the Jews to that particular land, is that the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy? I'm going to be very open with you, which is quite dangerous, may I say. Almost all Messianic Jews, Jewish Christians, would be quite shocked that I even asked that question because to them the answer is so obvious that obviously they would say the state of Israel is the fulfillment of prophecy. But I have to confess I'm agnostic on that question. Not on a lot of other questions, but on that question I'm quite agnostic. I'm not sure. And uh, I am well aware that my ancestors 2,000 years ago and ever since have often been brilliant Bible scholars and lovers of God and have been absolutely sure of what the Bible says concerning prophecy and so on. With all their biblical knowledge and study but were proved wrong. <laughs> and sometimes I wonder whether some of my Christian friends who are so sure of the future and of prophecy and so on, whether, however biblical they may be, they may actually be choosing the wrong scriptures or interpreting them in the wrong way. I don't know. You know, I'm agnostic. <laughs> on that subject. Uh, I can see Old Testament prophecies concerning a return of the people of Israel to the land of Palestine. But it seems to me that those prophecies are largely, largely, not 100%, but largely fulfilled in the return of Israel from the exile to Babylon. Question, are they, is there a further fulfillment beyond that? Maybe. I don't know. Well, there does seem to be a further fulfillment. Because actually, the words that are used in the Old Testament of coming to the land are exactly the words that are used in the New Testament of coming to Jesus. But then Jesus is the perfect Israelite, Israel personified, yeah, the one perfect Jew. Even my wife will agree there are no other perfect ones. <laughs> He is Israel personified. And the return, of course, is a return to the land. And the land is centered on Zion. Zion being the temple. But then Jesus is the living temple, is he not? So is the coming to Jesus... Is that the fulfillment of those prophecies of 
coming to Israel, to the land. Clearly, they relate very closely. But then, you know, not all of us, either Jew or Gentile, has come to Jesus yet. So is there a further fulfillment of coming to the land? And is that to be seen in coming to the land of Israel? I don't know. <laughs> and I leave it with you to work on it yourselves. But clearly in the Bible, there is a, a trio there, possibly a quadruplet. God, land, and people. Some people add a fourth. God, the law, the land, and the people. The Torah, the Bible, God's word. Well, leave that one aside. But God, land, and people, they go together. God is always associated with land, from creation onwards. And he's always associated with his people. Now at first, of course, in the creation and the early chapters of Genesis, God is related to the totality of land, not just the land of Israel, but the totality of the whole creation and all people, not just Israel and the Jewish people, but all humanity. And then in Genesis 12, God narrows it down because of the sin of his people, of people. And it's narrowed down to a little bit of land, the land of Israel, Canaan, whatever you want, and to a few people, the people of Israel. And then it narrows down further to Jesus. As I said, the perfection of the land because he's the temple personified. And he is the perfect Israelite, the perfect person. And then, of course, as you go through the New Testament, it widens out from Jew to Jew and Samaritan. <laughs> And then from Jew to Samaritan to Gentile of all nations and peoples all over the world. And it becomes the international people of God. And it becomes also a new heaven and a new earth uh, with the totality of the world and creation. And that's the task of mission today. The perfect land all over the world and a redeemed people all over the world. Uh, well, is that the meaning of Old Testament prophecy? I don't know. What I do know is that the establishment of the state of Israel is, I am convinced, I have no doubts whatsoever, is God's will... God's purpose, and God's miracle. 
I believe in the God of history because the Bible reveals God as the God of history, does it not? He is in charge of the movements of all peoples. The world is in his hands. He's the Lord of all, not just the Lord of some or some things. He's the Lord of all, all things and all people. Uh, and the movements of history are in his hands, which is a wonderful comfort in these days, isn't it? Uh, so that the coming of the Jews to the land of Israel is surely the purpose of God and the working of the God of history. And I believe that the establishing of the state of Israel was miraculous. Uh, how that tiny, unprepared little people back in the late 1940s could stand and be victorious against all the strong Arab nations around them, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, and they were all fighting against this new little people, unprepared, and somehow, amazingly, that little people survived and still survives surrounded, though it is, by very strong forces. Now, of course, nowadays, Israel has used the years and the money it's made to develop its army and so on. So it's much stronger now, but in the early days, when it was first established, it was still very, very weak. Uh, and yet... I again use the word miraculously. Miraculously, it survived and survives till today. So I am quite convinced that the state of Israel is God's purpose and God's will in history. But as I said, I believe very strongly that the key is evangelism, whether it's among Jews or among Arabs and Palestinians, or both. Well, must be both. I'm very struck by Acts chapter 1. And you can look it up on the net there. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, 7 and 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. When the disciples met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Same question. Amazing how the same question gets asked for 2,000 years or so. Uh, we still haven't got the answer. But anyway, uh, uh, Christians love to have these debates and to ask these wonderful questions, which of course are important. But they're not, not the whole thing, are they? Well, Jesus replies and he says to them in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. So don't be surprised that we're still asking the same question after 2,000 years and God still hasn't answered. <laughs> because it's not actually our business to know. 
And it's not important. But, I love that but, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus is saying is important. This is the big but. But, you know, you may not be able to answer these questions. It may not even be right to ask them. Because these questions can deflect us from what is really important in the mind of Jesus, in the mind of God. And what is really important is verse 8. But, and there's a very key word in verse 8, and it's a word that you and I use frequently, uh, and we know the meaning of it. It's the word and. <laughs> Not too difficult a word. And combines two separate things and makes them, brings them together, doesn't it? Yeah? We all know that. You don't have to be, you know, a doc don't have to have a doctorate to know that. All right. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and the two go together, never, never separate them. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we're going to look at international mission and so on this evening, uh, so I'm not going to go into that too much. But notice that the power of the Holy Spirit goes together with international witness. Never separate them. If you have the power of the Holy Spirit without letting it flow out in mission, you become proud, self-satisfied, and stuff full, but it, it'll just give you indigestion spiritually. If you leave out the power of the Holy Spirit but get involved in international mission without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're in for extreme frustration and powerlessness. But put the two together and you have the purpose of God. Now, when you're working among Jewish people, it is that evangelism that is number one, by the power of the Spirit, with the power of the Spirit. Let me just recommend in passing, Jews for Jesus as the key mission among Jewish people uh, and key for evangelism among Jewish people. And if you want to support Jewish work, then you know, look up Jews for Jesus on, on the net, write to them and get their materials and pray for them and support them and work with them. But when you're working among Jewish people, you will need to remember that Christianity is Jewish, as I said before. That people, Jewish people in becoming Christian, I'll use that word, in becoming messianic, if you prefer that word, and becoming believers, if you prefer that one, uh, are, 
I won't use the common Jewish word, joining the enemy. <laughs> but I don't think that's a very good expression. But it's the common one for conversion to Christianity. Um, but uh, often people think that becoming a Christian means going, well, as we would say, going goy, becoming Gentile, joining a Gentile faith. And we need to emphasize to our Jewish friends the Jewishness of Jesus, the Jewishness of the Bible, the, the Christian scriptures and the Hebrew scriptures, and the Jewishness of the Christian faith in every way. And, of course, many of them will prefer to join a messianic fellowship rather than a Gentile church. Well, if they do, that's fine. Uh, we don't mind what they join as long as they come to faith in Jesus and to love him in a Jewish way. We need to emphasize that Jesus is the expected and awaited Messiah, he is the way and the only way to know God as Father and to find life, abundant life, in him by faith. But in that evangelism, we need also to be very aware of our sad Christian history. And that may involve, again, not just for them repenting, but also for us repenting as Christians. Uh, sadly, Christians have persecuted Jews right through the centuries. And this year, we're celebrating the Reformation, 500 years of Martin Luther and so on. And you may have read or may know that actually over the church in Wittenberg, where he posted his 95 theses, uh, in the stonework there part of the church, therefore, not just added on, but in the stonework, over the entrance door, portal, uh, there is what is called the Judenzaal, the Jewish pig. And it's a, a revolting-looking pig with huge udders and a caricature Jew, you know, with kippah and... Uh, large nose and so on, sucking at one of the others uh, and another caricature Jew holding up the tail of the pig and licking its backside. Uh, and that can be found in quite a few Jewish, in quite a few Lutheran churches. Uh, so right back already now in the Reformation, but long before that, uh, Christians were involved in all sorts of anti-Jewish uh, violence and hatred and so on. And it's for that reason that we as Jews, and may I say converted Muslims too, uh, because they have something of the same background, a little bit different, but same feeling. Uh, both of us look on Christianity as a religion of violence and a religion of hatred in our backgrounds. That's sad, isn't it? Uh, and uh, 
Therefore, I speak personally for myself, but for many, many Jewish Christians and ex-Muslim Christians, any songs, etc., that talk of, you know, soldiers of Christ and uh, pulling down uh, fortresses and uh, this sort of thing and warfare, spiritual warfare, quite unbiblical, isn't it, as an expression, uh, that sort of thing, uh, it just underlines this wrong conception of Christianity. Uh, so, you know, if you're with Jews or with uh, ex-Muslims, be very careful in your choice of songs because uh, so many old hymns and modern songs are militant and aggressive and that doesn't help. Uh, be careful of your vocabulary and so on. Uh, well, uh, this, of course, climaxed in the horror of what we call the Shoah, what in English is called the Holocaust. At the beginning of the Second World War, there were in Europe 15 million Jews. Six million went to the gas chambers in the Holocaust. Six out of 15 million. That's uh, whatever it is, 40%, something like that. Uh, so in a meeting of 50 people, I don't know what we are this afternoon, say 50, 20 of you would go to the gas chambers. And I tell you, that would have a large impact on the other 30 afterwards. Mm -hmm. And we as Jews live with the Holocaust. I do. Every Jew that I know in Britain, whole tranches of their family have been lost in the gas chambers. So it's very personal. And Christians, yes, dynamic Spirit-filled Christians were also very much involved in the Holocaust. Sad. We love to remember some of the Christians that saved Jews and hid Jews and did wonderful things of that sort and praise the Lord for them. They were wonderful and we rejoice in them and are grateful to them. But there were lots of others who were guards in the concentration camps uh, and did the most horrendous, horrendous, horrendous things. And of course, Jews remember that. One of the worst camps had a, a Christian chapel in it for the guards. And the guards didn't want to miss the fun of watching the bodies of the gassed people being burned in the pits in the center of the camp. And they insisted on having their Christian worship around the pits so that they didn't miss the fun. Imagine what the survivors of that camp think about Christianity. Not much. So we have our problems in evangelism. 
And yet God has his purposes. And amazingly, God is working them out wonderfully. And we see, and I'd like to close with this, we see his purposes summarized so wonderfully in Romans chapter 11. Excuse me. Romans 11. And you find these wonderful words, verse 25 and 26. So that the fullness of the Gentiles will be saved and all Israel will be saved. The fullness of the Gentiles will come in Come in, notice again, and all Israel will be saved. Now, I don't believe that that is a, a prophecy of every single Jew, because the word all in the New Testament is not used that way. It means people of all sorts, Jews, therefore, of all sorts, the fullness of the Gentiles, and parallel to that, all Israel... The fullness of the Gentiles doesn't include every individual Gentile, no. But Gentiles of every nation and people and tribe and tongue, black and white and brown and pink and blue and green, any other color you're born. If you were born green, do let me know. <laughs> uh, but um, the multitudes, the fullness of the Gentiles. Wonderful, I look forward to that, don't you? In every part of the world. And parallel to it, all Israel, Sephardic Jews, Ashkenazic Jews, black Jews, Flasher Jews from Ethiopia, Indian Jews who look like Indians from southwest India and southeast India too, Chinese Jews who look like Chinese, amazing Jews have every color. <laughs> black and brown and yellow and off-white and everything else. Uh, Jews of every kind, all Israel. And I look forward to that. People, so many, again, it, it's, not, it's obviously not a small number, but large numbers. And the context of it in Romans 11 is that the disobedience leads to disobedience. No, it doesn't. Actually, the disobedience of the Jews who rejected the Messiah meant that the door came open for the Gentiles to be brought in. And then the salvation of some Gentiles provokes Jews to jealousy and some Jews come in. And if the disobedience of Jews rejecting the Messiah caused blessing for the Gentiles, how much more will their inclusion mean, Paul says. And so the coming of Jewish believers to the Lord will lead to more Gentiles. 
And then more Gentiles leads to more Jews and more Jews to more Gentiles and you get whatever the opposite of a vicious circle is, a blessed spiral (laughs) of more Jews, more Gentiles looking forward to God's perfect climactic purpose. The fullness of the Gentiles and all Israel being saved. And, and it's in that context that Paul goes on at the beginning of Romans 12. And Romans 12, you'll be amazed, amazed to hear, follows immediately after Romans 11. <laughs> now, you would never have guessed that if I hadn't have told you. <laughs> but it does. And Paul goes straight on and says, Therefore, because of all this, I appeal to you, sisters and brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he almost has a little oath about that, doesn't he? By God's mercies, I appeal to you. And he's just been talking about God's mercies in Romans 11. Mercies to Jews and mercies to Gentiles. Mercies to Jews and to Israel, if you like. Mercies to Arabs and Palestinians. Because God's love is universal. And sisters and brothers, as followers of the living God, our love is also to be universal. Not one-sided. 